Hey, page 73, can anybody guess what the topic is? If you're on page 73, you might get a hint. Satan and demons, are you serious, man? What a mouthful that is. Is that real? That's just like make-believe stuff that you see on Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff like that, and Halloween people dress up like that, and that's all. Man, I tell you what, boy, isn't that our problem? We saw before, what is the stat in the, uh, uh, you poll people, and do you even believe in Satan? And this is what's shocking, the latest one, it used to be 52%, is now up to 65% of people do not believe that satan is literal it's just a symbol of evil okay now if i if i if i were satan so to speak and uh if i wanted to uh, take somebody down take a church down take a christian down do whatever hey the best thing you could do is to get them to think that you don't even exist so when you appear on the scene they don't even know what hit them 65 percent don't even believe that satan exists and yet he does and he messes with us every single day okay let's take a look at their top of page 73 in uh, college one of my required courses was philosophy anybody ever take that in secular college man i had two courses on that and uh, and, that, and and what he says here this is exactly what my professor did the same thing okay and in that class the professor enjoyed uh, attempting to what destroy the faith of any young christians uh, he had attending the question is, there a God was one of the main discussions in the class uh, curriculum, okay? And I remember seeing that same professor on Halloween night dressed in a bright red satin costume, and the costume had a long pointed tail, pointed ears on the hood, and the essential accessory was a red pitchfork. To my atheistic professor, it was all a big what? Joke. His idea of Satan came from the medieval portraits of Satan that portrayed him as very similar to that costume. Now, I think we shared this before, but why is it that today, in the church even, that Satan and demons are usually uh, uh, portrayed as something hideous and ugly and terrible? Although they are, if you've ever had an actual demonic attack, been there, done that, actually encountered actual demons, been there, done that, it is extremely terrifying. Uh, In fact, terror is not even an appropriate word. Okay, I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, uh, it's just abs- almost paralyzing fear is getting closer uh, to what you're dealing with here. Okay, so there is that element. But by and large, how do we get into that? Because as we're going to see in two texts, you're going to see that Satan was a beautiful, if you will, creature. The anointed cherub. Okay, so how did he get this pitchfork? And all? Well, believe it or not, historically, that happened in the, what's called the Dark Ages. Okay, you ever wonder why the Dark Ages in Western civilization was called the Dark Ages? Well, they were dark because of, uh, of just society going down the tubes, but also spiritually dark. Because after about around 400 AD, okay, you had the birth of the church down here, right? Okay, and basically the church was getting persecuted. Extreme persecution, heavy due to persecution. But the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the more you persecute the church, the more the, uh, uh, God's great work began to show. And, and, and the church grew uh, amazingly all over in uh, Western civilization over there until around 300-ish, 325, 350, around there, you got this guy called Constantine that came along. And, uh, and he basically put an end to Christian persecution because he said that he was a Christian. There's a whole historical debate whether he was or whether he wasn't, whatever, whatever. But basically, that was the official stamp of approval for Christianity in the Roman Empire, and that stopped the persecution. You think, well, that's great. Actually, it probably worked to the church's detriment because at that point, instead of uh, Christians, it was a, definitely a pure time because the moment you said you were Christian, you had a choice to make. You either burn incense to Caesar or you're dead. Okay, you literally were given a choice. It's, it's going to be repeated. We see that in the book of Revelation. Okay, You're, you take this. Okay, it's going to be repeated. Okay, and, and so at that time, though, it became in vogue to be a Christian. It was cool to be a Christian. And so what you see is that the world came flooding into the church. And the persecution wasn't there. So now it was easy to be a Christian. And so now the church is flooded with non-Christians because everybody's can be a Christian, you know, that's the same thing that's being repeated today. Shortly after that, 400, 425-ish, you have the, the birth of the first official Roman Catholic Pope, okay, is what's going on there. You have the birth of the Roman Catholic, Catholic uh, meaning universal church. Catholicism basically was born. Shortly after that, guess what appeared on the scenes? Dark Ages, and it was dark, okay? And that's when basically you had the Roman Catholic Church had a stranglehold, and what they did is they basically had a stranglehold not only on religion, okay, portraying themselves as Christianity, but they also had a stranglehold on the governments. They were tied into them because what they would do is hold sway over the kings and the authorities of that area. Oh yeah, we'll withhold communion from you if you don't do what we say. That was the game that they played. We'll excommunicate you. And you say, well, so who cares? So what? Well, back then, of course, in that, the teaching is you have to take communion in order to be saved. You have to be a part, and they still teach it today. You have to be a part of the Catholic Church 
in order to be saved. So they're thinking, well, we're doomed straight to hell. So they would bow a knee, and that was the political control. So it was ecclesiastical control that was going on, political control, and it was what's classified as the Dark Ages. Now, during that time, you had a lot of superstition. People didn't have uh, copies of the Bible like we have today at all. Gutenberg Press wasn't until way down here. Okay, but even then, you cost them serious cash to get your hands on them. And then, as we saw before, in 1229 AD, the Roman Catholic Church, even though the language was changing to English, okay, it, uh, they kept the Bible in Latin. Why? So that if you dare got your own copy, you know, you have no right uh, to interpret the Bible uh, yourself. You have to go from some ecclesiastical structure, okay? Anyway, and so then, basically, the only time that we started to get free from that was you got a little, in the late 1300s, Okay, you got John Huss and those guys and 1400s and uh, John Wycliffe. And then you get into what's typically referred to as the Protestant Reformation, protestant, protesting this stuff in the 1500s. And that's when you got uh, 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 John Calvin, you got Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, and those kind of guys. And they get the credit, but it kind of started back here. Okay, now, here's my whole point. During this dark age time, People didn't have the Bible. They couldn't say, well, that's not what the Bible says. You know, here's, here's how demons are. Here's how Satan is. Here's what they do. Here's what they look like. Here's how they fell. And the whole thing that we're getting ready to study. They didn't have that. So guess what was on the rise? It's called superstition. Don't you dare go under a ladder. You know, th- this is where all those things kind of came from, right? Don't break a mirror. What's going to happen if you break a mirror? It still continues today, doesn't it? And so there's a lot of superstition that was going on during this time, okay? Now, during that time, <clears throat> the early church knew, they, had, they knew their Bible, okay? They knew what the scripture says about Satan, okay? And if you will, during this superstitious time, the Dark Ages, they began to depict Satan as a way to get back at him. Originally, is how it started. Oh yeah, we know that you were the anointed cherub and Mr. Beauty and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah? So w- when we draw pictures of you, we're gonna depict you as something hideous and ugly. That's actually what started it. Well, that continued on for a few generations until the next generation didn't realize the impetus of the people who started to portray him like that as a way, if you will, to get back at him, okay? And so now it's kind of continued on to today. He just, uh, But as we're going to see, that's part of his illusion. The Bible clearly says Satan appears as an angel of light. He can appear very wonderful and beautiful and doesn't always show up on the scene with absolute, utter, paralyzing fear. Sometimes it's with feelings of ecstasy and love. Don't tell me that was demonic. Mm. You better check your Bible, man. You're being duped. Okay, but that's what, uh, what as we're going to see there. But let's continue on, okay? Uh, he believes Satan was simply an image of a superstition created in the mind of man and propagated throughout history. Uh, unfortunately, even though many who call themselves Christians either deny the existence of Satan, 65%, and his host of demons directly by their own admission, they just flat out uh, say it, or indirectly by their actions. They act like, here's the biggest problem I would say in the church. Because of secular psychology, once again, okay, Freud believed that the idea of God, like this atheist professor, uh, by and large, the idea of God was simply made up by our forefathers in order to cope with life. Okay? Karl Marx, communism, okay, who, by the way, was a Satanist. And you know how he died? He died burning candles to Lucifer. His nurse came in. He was going, uh, dying. And, uh, she, and he says, uh, she said, you got any last words? He says, get on, or get out. Uh, last words are for fools, and he was, ah, you know, horrible scene. You don't hear about that today, do you? you hear some of the words, you know, uh, Nietzsche died utterly insane. You know, the guy said that God is dead. Well, I got news for you. God's still alive, and Nietzsche's dead, and he found out too late, okay, and things of that nature. Uh, but that's what we're seeing here uh, is that uh, he believed that uh, it was just a simply made up uh, issue that uh, God is not real. And uh, that's what he says, and that's what Christians do, because with, like with Freud, it's just an idea. Uh, Karl Marx, it's opiate for the masses. You know, it's just about to, to control people. Have you ever heard that? Well, this whole idea of hell and Satan, that's just for you know, the church to control you and rip you off your money and, and just to make you do stuff and scare you, scare tactics. You... Okay, well, that's where this idea comes, secular psychology. Now, because of secular psychology, because of Freudianism, okay, it, it really began to downplay, and still does today, the spiritual element of life. Every day when we get up, the Bible's very clear. Yes, there's angels of God. Yeah, I'm starting to mess up my little thing. Uh, angels of God, holy angels of God. Okay, angel, by the way, is the Greek word uh, angelos, okay, which just simply means messenger. So there's positive, there's two categories. There's those who rebelled with Satan, okay, uh, the rebellious ones, the demons, and the unfallen ones who stayed with God. One-third, two-thirds is what the scripture gives us the picture. And they're just messengers. 
right? So the holy ones are messengers of God. The unholy ones are messengers of Satan, okay? Is that, that's what it is. And so all it is is just uh, angelos. But again, what they want to do today says, let's just make believe. That's just a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know. <laughs> the, the red guy pops up on the shoulder. Hey, go do this. And the, the white one pops up. Don't do that. That wouldn't be nice. And of course, they always let the other guy, the bad guy, beat the other guy up. And anyway, whatever. So they just, oh, it's just cartoons. Just make believe. Okay, that's our secular mindset, okay? So what they do is they downplay the spiritual and they say that there is really no spiritual and that everybody's ailments, everybody's problems, everybody's conflicts, everybody's uh, problems are only physical, okay? And the only way that you can deal with that is via a chemical. But that's not what the Bible says. I'm not saying every ailment is a spiritual attack or demonic issue. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sometimes it is. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. God's very clear about this. This is the battle we face every day, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. But because of our skeptical society, our secular psychology society that has downplayed the spiritual for so long, we don't think that our conflicts and our troubles are spiritual. They're all just natural. It's just a physical thing. Not necessarily so. Let's take a look at the context there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is uh, where we're going to be. <clears throat> Verse 10, all right, is uh, what Paul is saying here. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, why? So you can go around looking cool and buff and no, because you need some armor. That would imply that there must be a battle of some sort. What are you guys thinking? Okay, and it's not a fashion show. Okay, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the make-believe thing with the pitchfork. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation, John. You sharp guy, you tell you what uh no the devil schemes okay methodia methodology now what does that imply that's what the greek word is methodia methodology what does that imply oh it's just random when he attacks he's got a plan baby he's got it all methodically planned out step by step had an instructor says man don't uh, the, the 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 harsh if you will rendering of the word demon in the scripture means intelligent ones Okay, very smart, okay, is what's going on there. Now, they've had 6,000 years, roughly, to watch mankind in our fallen state with the sin nature. They know how we work. And because they know how we work and with their intelligence, they know how to trick us and tempt us. They see the same traps that we fall every single time for. They just repackage it for a new generation and it's all of the same. And he said he doesn't really need to be that intelligent. Because unfortunately, we're not equipped scripturally and we fall for the same goofball traps in different clothing. Okay, is what's going on. But that's what he says. He says the devil schemes, okay? Now, why? Because our struggle is only physical. Anytime you have a physical problem or there's a physical conflict between people or entities, it's just physical. It's a natural thing. Unfortunately, it's just the sin nature is all that's going. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong, wrong thing. What'd you say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, i.e. it's not just natural, but against what? It's spiritual. Now listen to this. Rulers against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, therefore put on the uh, full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to run and freak out and hide. No, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything uh, to stand. Now, another side note here, and we're going to get to that if I can get that far in my notes. Notice that our struggle is not just physical, uh, it's spiritual, right? And notice the chain of command that is in there with the spiritual. You got rulers, you got authorities, you've got powers, you got forces. What's that sound like? That sounds like an army or something. That sounds like uh, there's a chain of command. That sounds like there's organization. That sounds like when they work, they work together. There's a chain of command, they follow and... Is it any wonder that one of the things that the enemy wants us to do is to be divided? He knows the power of unity. He uses it in his own camp, right? Very, very interesting. We'll get to that in just a second. So again, this is what our world does. This is why I'm not overly shocked by the 65%. It's gut-wrenching, but I'm not overly shocked because we have ingested so much non-biblical teaching, secular teaching that gets us to think just like this atheistic professor, it's all a big joke. And the irony is it goes on every single day, every minute, everywhere you go. Not to freak you out, but been there, done that. You guys know my testimony? I've seen these things with my, I don't base this on just what I've seen. It's, the scripture's clear. I mean, we'll get to that 
in a second. But uh, seeing him with my own eyes, we, the one that uh, always followed us around before I got saved, uh, we saw him so many times, this entity, this black entity, we called him Harry. Oh, that's Harry. And uh, with that, uh, uh, some of the Satan organizations and things that uh, you get uh, specifically invited to these parties. They, they, you, don't, you don't just show up. They come, and I remember this one, they, they, it's a private invite. And it was at this uh, uh, heavy metal bar, and uh, they just came and they, they tap you on the shoulder. You know, they, they choose you. Who gets to come? And these places, folks, are so stinking dark. People have no stinking idea what's going on in the music world and what these people are doing backstage and offering sacrifices and things to Satan and things of that nature. You guys heard AJ's testimony, right? If you guys recall that. What did he experience? Being in Hollywood, getting ready to sign a contract. What was the deal? What do you have to do to make this contract so he can have fame and riches? He had to sign a contract in blood. This is real, folks. This really goes on all the time. Been there, done that, okay? And yet, we act like it's all a game and our only problems that we have, Christians, churches, is just physical. He's got us, okay? We need to wake up to the fact that not all of it is just physical. Let's continue on. He says, uh, in other words, those who believe intellectually that he exists do not really believe that he has much effect on them. Are Satan and his demons a myth? from the minds of the superstitious, or do they really exist? And if they do exist, do they have any effect on mankind today? And what about how they affect the believer? These are questions that Ruth has, and we will consider in this chapter. Thank you, Ruth. There's a lot there. Just let me get one at a time, will you? Come on. Thank you. I'm but anyway, but let's whet our appetite, okay? I don't want to just share you testimonies of uh, uh, my background, uh, even AJ's background, but I want to share some of the stories we've talked about before of just how real this is. Okay, and I think that m- much of why we see the church going into apostasy, we did six studies on that. You guys got those all memorized? Praise God. And we'll preach online later. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is real. I think part of the reason why the church is going down the tube so fast is because of this. We're getting beat up left and right, and we're looking in all the wrong places. It's like we're shadow boxing. You know, we're getting hit over here, and we're going, oh, what was that? Maybe it's just the wind. What? Let, let me share with you that. Okay. Now, as I read through these, these are actual testimonies, actual accounts, okay, of actual Satanists and witches and how they take down Christians and how they take down churches. Pay attention to the fact that this not only goes on today, but pay attention to how they destroy Christians, walk with God, and how they destroy churches, okay? Here, here's just a, a couple of them. Uh, this one uh, lady who came out of black witchcraft. Oh, by the way, in case you don't fall for that lie. Oh, that's just white witchcraft, black. Uh-uh. I don't care how you color it. It's evil. Evil to the core. Okay, witchcraft is witchcraft, whatever color you want to label. And that's a lie that they say it's one's better than the other. They're both from the same camp. Uh, she says this. Uh, Christians are the Satanist's worst enemy. They are out to torment you. They are out to blackmail you. They will even kill you. They tried to kill me when I came out of black witchcraft. Another Satanist said this. He said, if you're in a church, now listen, okay, what is the premise for them to attack you? Listen to the whole premise. If you're in a church where the Spirit of God is really moving and the Word of God is really being preached and where prayer is really going up to heaven for the salvation of souls, they are going to regard you as their mortal enemy. Now, if you're a church who's in apostasy, uh, if you're a church who's floating down the wave of the culture, if you're a church who, with uh, all due respect, is just preaching nothing but fluff, they've got you probably won't get a whole lot even though that in itself is a spiritual attack okay but when do you get the full frontal assault what do you say when the spirit of god is moving when souls are being prayed for and getting saved and when the word of god is really being preached guess what you just became target okay and half the times i think that when things are happening uh, in churches great things are happening and then things start to go a little weary and by the wayside and messing up and hiccups and burps in here, we fall for the trap we don't realize. It's because things are going good. And not everything is natural. Sometimes it's spiritual, and we need to deal with it in a spiritual fashion. You see what I'm saying? Otherwise, we're just going to be shadow boxing again. Listen to this. Uh, another guy says, uh, they are going to be out there trying to do, er- because you're preaching the word of God and souls are getting saved and things of nature, they're going to be out there trying everything they can to destroy, to kill, and to maim because that, of course, is the nature of Satan <clears throat> and also the nature of his followers. Listen. And so what they do is they just stay outside and cast spells and pray to Satan that send demons your way. They will try to infiltrate your church. They will, and here's what they do. Listen to how they take down the church. <clears throat> 
They will try to set up whispering campaigns against the pastor and the leadership. They may even try to seduce the pastor. Okay? But what they do is they try to attack the authority of the church to bring it down. Why? Because that divides the church. Listen to this. Another guy, Glenn, he was a uh, 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 ritualistic uh, Satanist. Uh, His family, he was like a third generation Satanist. He was actually being groomed to be the next high priest. And he got saved. Listen to what he was doing. He said, for two years, I was involved in a Baptist church. Satanist being trained to be a high priest in Satanism. He said, I was constantly complaining about the pastor's sermons. Being too long, too dry, sowing discord among the people and gossiping about others. He would literally sit there and just, did you hear them? <laughs> sermons, teaching, leadership. You hear what the deacons said, did? Satanist. For two stinking years he was there, they had no stinking clue who he was and what he was up to. He wasn't up here drawing a pentagram, conjuring up a demon. We'll get to that in a second. What was he doing? He was taking down the church with his mouth, getting others to go on. Some Satanists, Satanists, another guy said this, are hand-picked, and the the most powerful ones, and they're sent into church services to disrupt the meeting and uh, to stop the people from going forward when they'd ask people to go forward to accept Christ as their Savior. They would literally cause a ruckus at the altar call. That never happens, does it? You ever wonder why all of a sudden people get antsy? I'll never forget. I'll never forget. It was so blatant. I, the, I, I didn't even hardly even get home from preaching that sermon. I had phone. My phone was ringing off the hook. Pastor, did you see that? Pastor Billy, could you believe that? I was preaching on spiritual warfare at the church on the East Coast. And I was exposed. Here's what the enemy does. Here's what he does. And we were talking about how he distracts you okay, from hearing the word of God and all the different methodologies, the methodia that he uses. As soon as I did that, I kid you not, almost, it was like and then a 20, 30 cell phones went off all at the same time. It was mind-blowing. And I just, okay, and just kept going. Everybody shut them off, right? We continue to get into the study. We continue to expose what he's up to and how he's trying to do these things and disrupt the services and people's opportunity to hear the word of God and grow and all of a sudden, and then it was like somebody lit a match under uh, people's feet in the congregation. It was just like, just antsy, just moving, people getting up and like whatever. It was, right, it, was just, it was so apparent. I mean, I'm sitting up there trying to preach and going through all them. What? Okay, we must be hitting something good, causing a ruckus now. Woo, preach it, yeah. You know, I get excited when that stuff happens because you know something good's happening. Somebody's trying to mess it up, right? Because they infiltrate the church. And uh, so... <laughs> It was so, people called me, I said, that's exactly what's preaching on. Do you think this is a game? Are you in this camp? Don't you think it happens? Hey, people are getting saved. The word of God's being preached. So guess what? You became a target. You don't think it's going to happen to us? You don't think it's going to happen to us here at Sunrise? I'm telling you, we're fooling ourselves. We're shadow boxing if we think it isn't going to happen. Okay, now, <clears throat> another guy, another Satanist. He was a high priest. He said, I personally, in fact, was trained. And he was another guy that sat in the congregation. He said, I was trained to learn all the Christian jargon. You know, phrases like hallelujah and praise the Lord. Right? He said, well, why would a Satanist say that? He can't say Yeah, he can. Hallelujah to who? Lord who? Notice it's not Jesus. I think we talk about, you know, those God, who's your God? You know, these are generic terms nowadays. They're very specific. He says, I was trained to say hallelujah and praise the Lord and say all the right things, sitting in there amongst the people. And yet I had no idea of Jesus being my savior than a man on the moon. And Glenn, he closes with this. He says, if you can tear down the prayer foundation of a church, then you destroyed that church. And that's what every witch or Satanist plans to do when they go into that church, is to tear down that prayer foundation because the rest of the church quickly goes after that. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we spent more time fighting each other than praying together in unity? Yeah, if you're a Satanist, you want to take down a church, that's a great plan. That's what they do. Now, that's Satanist. Here's another thing that we don't believe that exists today because, again, with cartoons and things of that nature, they just ride brooms and have this, uh, this hag with warts coming out. Uh, okay? And they're, they're only named Broomhilda. Okay? But it's witches. Okay? And that's huge. And the reason why it's huge today, and there's a massive explosion of witchcraft, even in the church today, is because we saw before in the final countdown study, is because this new term for witchcraft, they just changed the terminology. It's called Wicca. That's witchcraft. That's all it is. And kids today are being trained, and they specifically target young girls, okay, and, and seduce them into that. Okay, but guys get into it because they can become a sorcerer, okay?
But listen to this. Here's what witches are doing. Notice again why they would attack a Christian, why they would attack a church. Notice what they do to bring down that church and destroy that Christian. Ready? Here's what, this is an actual report. I got it. And, uh, and it's talking about, the, it, was, it was for several high-profile pastors, if you will, we're asking that this report be sent out because it's going on and the churches need to be equipped. Here's what it is. Okay. We now, ha- we now know of a large number of churches that have been successfully infiltrated by churches. Uh, in fact, in one town, witches boast that they have infiltrated every church in the town and judging by the devastation caused in some of the churches in this town, the claim is probably correct. Their plan is meeting with amazing success. One church that we've been told of originally had a membership of well over 100. The membership is now down to 30 and the remaining members are almost totally demoralized. I, I just had some lady, uh, it's like, why are you sending this to me? Uh, she had, uh, uh, had said that there was a, uh, a church for sale in Pennsylvania. You want to buy it? And I said, I don't know, I'll keep on my, I, I don't want to buy it. And, you know, whatever, it's a church building, whatever. And she wrote back and, and uh, I said, well, you know, I'll keep my ears open if somebody in the area is looking for a facility or something. And, uh, but she says, how sad it's happening all over. Dozens of churches are being closed every single day here in America. You know that. Churches are closing doors. But I, I know it's just natural. It's just natural. It's just some unfortunate decision that was made or just, you know, things just didn't work out. They didn't have a really good game plan going on. Okay? Listen to this. But that's, the, that's not the only tactic. Okay? He says this, this report says, this is now happening in an increasing number of churches and many promising young pastors are now leaving the ministry because of it. Listen to this. These witches are working to a carefully laid out plan, which has been operating for many years, right under our noses without even our suspecting them. Some profess to be fine Christians. Well, how would we fall for that? Because we only think things are spirit, uh, physical. We only look on the outside. We don't pay attention to what spiritually is going on. They dress well. They speak well. They're usually well-educated and in some cases knowledgeable in spiritual matters. Some witches appear content just to sit in con- uh, congregations and mumble their incantations, okay, while others go out of their way to gain acceptance in the church, and then they carefully work their way into positions of influence. Ooh. They become members, and then they begin to take an active part, singing in the choir, uh, joining in the diaconate. Uh, then they uh, work to a highly effective plan, which is aimed at destroying the pastor's reputation, seducing him or spreading rumors about him. They also create factions within the church. They pit one group against another and thus they create division. They may lay charges against the pastor. They may even put these charges in writing and then send them to the diaconate. Uh, This ploy often divides members of the diaconate against each other or sometimes turns the diaconate against the pastor. Uh, The results stemming from these methods are obvious and manifold, causes confusion, suspicion, loss of confidence in the pastor, emotional problems, tension, disunity, the list is almost endless, and we are certain that this is only the tip of the iceberg. But hey, just natural. You know, good thing the word of God's not being preached, and nobody's getting saved here at sunrise, and, you know, we're not praying that people get saved, and man, because, man, I'd hate to be a target. Interesting. You know, I've said this before, uh, but I'll say it again. I truly believe that I don't think there's ever been a church that I've uh, been a part of that I have not experienced spiritual warfare specifically on these things. And the tactics that, that these people use, some of them I do believe uh, were in this enemy's camp, come into the church services, okay? And sometimes that comes to a head and you find out later. Then they're done that, okay? Sometimes I think that people don't realize maybe an enemy was here and they got things kick-started and they spread through the church and they left and let the church go down the tubes. Sometimes maybe the enemy had nothing to do with it but we get spiritually attacked by a demon. You don't have to have a Satanist or witch show up physically. Demons can come and they can get us to do this to each other. Yappity, yappity, yippity, yappity, yippity, yappity. Slander and gossip causing division in the church. Why? Because it works every single time. One more thing just to uh, share with this. And these are some people that uh, I know um, out of some serious heavy duty witchcraft. And according to witchcraft, whether you want to believe it or not, uh, they have classified certain demons that they conjure up to take Christians down and to take churches down. Okay, I'm going to read you the top seven, according to witchcraft, of demons. And as we saw in the text in, in Ephesians 6, very interesting, even those in witchcraft admit there is an order and there is a structure. 
Very interesting. But here, here's the seven most powerful demons according to witchcraft. Uh, the first one of them is called Rege, R-E-G-E. And uh, he's the general, if you will, of the occult, is what they believe. He deals with such drugs as marijuana, hashish, cocaine, speed, LSD, peyote, mescaline. These are drugs of sorcery. The Bible talks about that in the book of Revelation, pharmakeia. Okay? And if you know anything of those particular kind of drugs, those are mind-altering drugs. And that's the illusion that kids are having today. And uh, you think you're just going on a trip. You think you're just entertaining yourself. No, you're not. You're opening yourself to spiritual doors to demonic possession. Okay? Been there, done that. And, and that's what they teach. And these are the drugs of sorcery, and they're used to attack the mind and open it for a demon to enter. That's what witchcraft teaches. Lars is another one. He is the demon of sexual lust, homosexuality, adultery, and other sexual perversions. Bacchus, uh, he's the demon of addictions, such as drugs, smoking, and alcohol. Pan, that's where we get the word panic from. He's the demon of the mind. He causes mental illness, depression, suicide, nerves, and rejection. Medit, M-E-D-I-T, He's the demon of hate, murder, killing, war, jealousy, envy, and gossip. Now, why would gossip be in the same category as hate and murder and killing and war? Because you're murdering with your mouth. And you're creating a war with your mouth. Set, S-E-T, he's the demon of death. He incites wars, terrorism, and genocide. Now, listen, this is what blew me away. It's just simply called the Christian demon in witchcraft. Listen to this guy. This particular demon has no set name. He is so powerful that most witches won't even bother him. Okay, I conjure this guy up. <laughs> okay, his job is to weaken a Christian's walk with the Lord by making him content, failing to live up to church commitments, such as giving or soul winning or church participation, etc. However, listen to this. This is the one that they're like, we don't even want to mess with this guy, the Christian demon. One of his most destructive tactics is to get Christians to talk about each other through gossiping and causing strife within the church. Anybody starting to see a pattern here? Sometimes you'll see that Satanists do want to freak you out. And sometimes they will do uh, things, they will spray paint 666 or pentagrams on the church facilities or things like that or in the parking lot. Oh, you know, sometimes they'll actually leave animals behind that they did in their ritualistic sacrifices on your property. They'll freak you out. But oftentimes... They'll either be in your midst or they'll trick you into doing what they do when they're in their midst to take you down and destroy your walk with Jesus. Yippity, yappity, yippity, yappity. Instead of working together, they get us to fight against each other. Why? Because good things are taking place. Been there, done that. I, every single ministry I've been a part of and uh, it's the same tactics uh, that he uses today. And again, what's ironic, and that's just, we can keep going, but I want to at least move on to something else. 65% of the church does not believe what I just read. Even though churches are trying to get the word out to the churches, this is real, it's happening, it's rampant, it's much more widespread than you can think of, and we better get ready. Right? Okay. Now, that was very pleasant. Let's move on. Uh, what about Satan's <laughs> origin and fall? Interestingly enough, the Bible is all about, uh, all but silent on the creation of Satan and the angelic host in general. Although some would say, theologians say, that they were created on the same day that God made light being angels, light, and stuff like that. One thing that we can deduce logically from Scripture is that they were created uh, uh, <clears throat> before uh, man on day six and that Satan, uh, we don't know uh, how long after man was created that the fall occurred, okay? But we know that somewhere between uh, when man was created and he came and tempted Eve, somewhere in there, he had to fall. And you could just deduce that from the Scripture. Okay, although God did not choose to reveal these facts to us, the existence and reality of both Satan and demons are clear from the fact that the biblical text is what? Saturated, okay, with references to both. Now, again, what's, what's the problem is in our secular psychology today, they'll even take a look at passages. You want to read, it's all over the New Testament. How many times did Jesus cast out demons in little kids and adults and whatever? How many times? Things that, demons that were even causing sickness. All the time. But what they do is they, again, they do in uh, correct interpretation. They read what's in there, what's not there. Okay? And, and what they do is say, no, well, what is, well, really what that is, it's not an actual demon because we all know demons don't exist today. It's just a psychological aberration. And it's too bad back then that they didn't have the medication that we had today because that would fix them and help them to cope with life. 
And again, I'm not saying that everybody that has some form of a mental illness, if you will, that it's always a demon. But don't throw the baby out the bathwater. I think there's a lot of people, frankly, and I've, I've done many, uh, uh, especially on the East Coast, it seemed to be much more prevalent. I'm not saying, that, but I mean, as far as making hospital uh, visits to the psych ward, I don't think everything there was just natural. Have you ever been to one of those? Okay? And I think it's unfortunate. What happens is, is you need to, you know, so, the society would, would literally escort me out. Okay, actually, there was, man, there was this one time when I was in there with this person. That we was, it was time to G, cast them out, man. And uh, this is no medicated thing. This is a demonic issue that's going on here. And things of that nature. But if you get caught, you know, with that, uh, man, they'll, they'll throw you out or throw you in jail or whatever and things of that nature because they always think it's always just physical. Okay, let's continue on. The existence of the personality of Satan is settled when we accept the biblical re- revelation is inerrant and inspired since the scriptures are full of testimony to uh, his existence and activity. Okay, yeah, I got some cool stories. Yeah, that really happened to me. Yeah, that happened to AJ. I just read to you some actual reports of what's actually going on from former Satanists and from witches. But your primary source is the Bible's clear about it. Okay, it's what he's saying there, okay? We are introduced to Satan as early as Genesis chapter 3 where he presents the tempting possibility to Eve that she can be like God. You know, you get to decide what's right and wrong, good and evil, okay? And uh, note that this was the same desire that led to Satan's fall to his becoming the chief adversary of God. He wanted to control, he wanted it his way or the highway. In fact, let's just read Isaiah 14, the classic passage, one of them, of uh, Satan's fall. Let's turn there. Mm-hmm. and uh, let's take a look at what happened and uh, verse 12 isaiah 14 verse 12 says is how you have fallen from heaven O morning star son of the dawn you have been cast down to the earth you who once laid low the nations you said in your heart here's what caused it what what's the first word there i he had an eye problem didn't he i okay I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend to the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit. Okay. Oops, you lost. Okay. Ezekiel 28. Flip over there. Hang another right. And uh, Ezekiel 28. Let's take a look at a parallel passage there. Once again, yeah, verse 12 again. And... Uh, Chapter 28, Ezekiel 28. Now, if you need some help, it's page 640 in my Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, verse 12, let's take a look. It says, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre, speaking symbolically of Satan, and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of what? Perfection, full of wisdom and, and, and perfect in beauty. See, when God created Satan, he was good. When God created, and angels are created beings. God's creation is good. He said that every time he created something, he said, and it was good. And we created man, he said it was very good. And then he uh, had the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and it was holy, okay? So what we see is, you know, people say, well, God made Satan, so God's responsible. He's evil. No, he didn't. He made uh, Lucifer, okay? The anointed cherub, but we're going to see he's the one that started evil. Let's take a look. Uh, he says, uh, you're full of uh, uh, the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in what? Beauty. Remember the dark ages, the depiction, stuff like that? And I, you know, I want to get back to you. Okay. And uh, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian chair, for I, so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till what? Where did it come from? Satan, wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from the fiery stones. Your heart became what? Proud, and on account of your what? Beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made you a spectacle uh, before uh, kings. And those are a couple of classic passages there of Satan's fall. Okay, they're found there. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. Paul ends writes about this. He says, speaking of Satan, he enjoyed an exalted position in the presence of God. The brilliance of heaven was his surrounding. He was called the anointed covering cherub who enjoyed the position of highest honor before God. Isaiah refers to this uh, supreme angel as the star of morning, Lucifer, morning star, son of the dawn. 
He was filled with wisdom and beauty, and he was blameless. Okay, let's talk about his fall, and then we'll close. Satan became very prideful in his exalted position as the covering cherub. All right? (laughs) Blow the dust off your pen. We actually get to fill in two blanks tonight. The covering cherub, okay, in his pride, he sinned and was cast from the mountain of God. So pride, I, me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, that was Satan's downfall. What's the number one celebrated and pushed virtue in our society today? Pride. And not just pride, it's love of I. We talked about that before. The number one law of Satanism is do what you will shall be the whole of the law. And that's what we're teaching our whole society, is to be good Satanists. It's all about you. It's what you want because you know what's right. You know what's good and evil. Don't listen to anybody else. Don't listen to God. You. Self-love, self-respect, self-esteem, self, 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 self. And we wonder why our world is looking so satanic. Isn't that mind-blowing? Absolutely mind-blowing. Much trickery. Satan's sin uh, is chronicled uh, in Isaiah 14. But you said in your heart, I'm going to send to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north, I'm going to ascend the heights of the clouds. I'm going to make myself like God, like the Most High. As Ryrie states, the New Testament pinpoints Satan, particular sin, as arrogance. Is your next blank there. Arrogance, conceit, or being puffed up. Okay? First uh, Timothy talks about that. When you get somebody into leadership, uh, be careful, you know, uh, that you know who you're dealing with and who you, you know, lay hands on, okay, uh, because they can become arrogant, and, they're gonna, and he says there, they're going to fall for the same trap of the devil. Okay? Again, lending to this arrogance problem. Okay, when Satan fell from his exalted position, he apparently took with him as many as one-third of the angels, Matthew 25, Revelation 12, 4. Sometime later in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Adam and Eve into taking the forbidden fruit, okay? And Satan's doom was then revealed. He would be successful in only bruising the seed of the woman, i.e. Jesus Christ, obviously, on the heel, of course, on the cross, okay? But the seed of the woman would uh, bruise or crush his head. Now, if you guys had a pick of an injury to try to survive from, would you rather have a bruised heel or a crushed head? Anyway, let's take a poll because I'm just concerned about you guys being awake tonight. How many of you guys would like to have a crushed head? Praise God. How about a bruised heel? Praise God. Okay, we're on the same page. Yeah. So what's God saying? Isn't he merciful? Isn't he wonderful? Right when mankind... Uh, this is called the, the great Genesis 3.15 passage. Okay? The wonderful promise from God. Mankind just rebelled against God. Just rebelled against God. They had everything perfect. And out of mercy, instead of God going, nuke the planet, start all over. He made coverings for them. Okay? Symbolizing that there's going to have to be a sacrifice to cover your sins. Does that sound familiar? And then he makes the great promise. Okay? That one day, I'm going to undo what the devil did. He's the loser here. I'm going to crush his head. Okay? One day, from the seed of the woman, obviously, Mary, Jesus, is going to come. One who's going to crush your head. Don't you think he was sweating bulls? And see, that makes sense, because when you read throughout the scripture, how many times do we see people trying to annihilate the Jewish people? Why? Because all over and over, it starts to make sense. Satan was there. He heard the promise from God. And so you see the annihilation of the Jewish people because he was trying to prevent the one who's going to crush his head, but he lost. Can you imagine the glee of the demons, if you will, when, when Jesus died on the cross? Not understanding the fullness of God's plan. They must have laughed. They must have been, what, how many was it, 4,000 years? About 4,000 years they've been trying to subvert God's plan to no avail. And then the one who's going to crush their head, Jesus, appears on the scene. They think they have did it. They've won. Now Satan's beat God. The promise cannot be fulfilled because we just, we just beat him. And the moment they thought they had the greatest victory, it was their actual complete defeat. Isn't God awesome? How many guys are thinking he's going, nah, nah, nah. I mean, just if you will, for God's point of view, man, I love it. Okay. And uh, he delivered the death blow to Satan. This spelled out Satan's ultimate defeat. We're going to close with a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes. And he talks about this issue on uh, spiritual warfare. And uh, listen to what he says. And we have to keep this in mind, guys, because we, we're just obviously getting started tonight. And, uh, um, but we're going to get into the details of how he attacks, when he attacks, all that's all about. How are we supposed to deal with it? The armor of God. Man, wait till we get to that. What a great study. 
and things of that nature. How do we stand in the day of evil? But see, oftentimes I've learned in the church too is even when we awaken to the fact, we get away from the 65% shadow boxing number, okay, we'll go to the end of the spectrum and then we blame everything on the devil and, and then we get all afraid and we give him way more attention uh, uh, than Jesus Christ and we don't realize that the devil is the loser and greater is he that is in us than he is in this world and we do not need to be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and of a sound mind. But here's what Spurgeon says, and we'll close. He says, what a remarkable picture to behold. All the enemies of Christ totally disarmed. And Satan has nothing left now with which he may attack us. He may attempt to injure us, but wound us he never can, for his sword and spear are utterly taken away. Be very courageous, Christian. Remember that you have to fight with a stingless dragon. He may hiss, but his teeth are broken, and his poison fang is extracted. You have to do battle with an enemy already scarred by your master's weapons. Every blow you give him takes its toll upon him, for he has nothing left to protect him. Jesus Christ has stripped him naked, divided his armor, and left him defenseless. The enemy may rush in on you with hideous noise and terrible alarms. Ah! He roars like a lion, but he's not a lion, like one. But there is no real cause for fear. Stand fast in the Lord, rejoice in the day of battle, for it is for you but the beginning of an eternity of triumph. He's a loser, a big fat loser. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day when he gets chucked into, at the end of the moon kingdom, into the lake of fire with the false prophet and the antichrist who's been suffering there for a thousand years. It's not annihilation. And I hope God lets us see that. He is our greatest arch enemy. He is real. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus whooped him on the cross. And we've got the armor of God. He, can, he cannot defeat us. The only way it happens is if, if he gets us to turn in on ourselves and, oh, and to itself explode, implode. Or he gets us to not understand and use the armor that God has given us. And that's what we'll continue on, Lord one next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, 
and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed. The judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.